Hello everyone and welcome to the Debug Log episode 93. This week we'll be talking about the evolution of game networking. Uh, so Obina, Andrew and I kind of go through the history of where uh, the early networked games first started, sort of like their play spaces from university campuses all the way up to um, like modern play spaces such as Xbox Live and PSN and the like. And we also talk about a lot of the uh, models used to code the real-time simulations used in network games. So, you know, things like peer-to-peer -peer or client-server or client-side prediction. And this is something that's always kind of interested me and I wanted to take a deeper dive into it and just because I didn't know a lot of the history of it. And it's just really neat to think that people were able to come up with these ideas and methods for making people interact in real time in games and, you know, bringing this whole social component as well as competitive component and all sorts of other fun components into it. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about some networking. Listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. I'm Ryan Kilgore. I'm Andrew Curry, and I'm Obino Opara. <laughs> and I that... remember how we enter <laughs> this. <laughs> next time, we need to establish who goes next, since I'm out of order. So. <laughs> so, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. Uh, this will uh, we'll be talking about the evolution of network gaming and multiplayer gaming and all sorts of history, protocols, and fun that goes along with that, and actually some pain, too. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we got a few reviews we're going to read. Uh, I think, Obina, you have those? or Yes, sir. Straight from right. iTunes, fresh out of iTunes. Uh, this one, actually, we, 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 I read this one on our bonus episode that we posted in our Patreon and our Debug Lounge, so if you are not a part of that, you're going to miss out on this. No, you're not, because you're here right now anyway this one's called the yeah, that's a bonus right now <laughs> an, extra, an extra bonus this one's from austin orion who says i listen to a lot of software engineering and developer content via podcast and this is hands down the most enjoyable one in my list i am a casual hobbyist game developer and the thorough discussions makes the great personalities in this show really get the game dev vibes flowing it's honestly hard to listen to this show and not instinctively instinctively fire up unity keep it up team you guys rock uh this next one is from river digger river digger which one's also it's also a five-star review that says informative and enjoyable just started watching a week ago watching and put this on whenever i'm working on my computer this these guys get along great and are able to have constructive and enjoyable conversations and i always find myself learning something new each listen as someone going into game dev, it's amazing to have these people who are so enthusiastic and devoted to their industry. It makes me excited to continue my career. Thanks, guys. So those two are iTunes reviews from River Digger and Austin Orion. Thanks a lot for writing, taking the time out of your days to write us a review. They really, yes, really thank help. You both. Yeah. And we really, really enjoy them. So without further ado, back to the show. Ryan. All right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. So. <laughs> So this week on the show, we're going to be talking about, like I said earlier, uh, just sort of the evolution of um, uh, network games and like networking in general to a degree, but mostly obviously how it affects games. Um, and so just to get started with that, I was going to talk about the evolution of sort of the play spaces because, you know, when games first got started and I think just the computers in the in it in general got started, they were in a much like smaller space and like with more limited capacity as, you know, kind of everything starts off. And... Um, 
you know, as that moved on, they kind of expanded out, got more capabilities, could reach more people. But I thought we'd start today at just sort of the very core of it, or at the universities, like, you know, where the internet started. And um, at the universities, a lot of what they would do were, uh, like, just, you know, a lot of networks and mainframes and terminals. And that's where one of the first actual... Um, uh, multiplayer games was sort of documented and documented is kind of loose because I got this off of Wikipedia just trying to cross-reference some things and this is just the closest thing I could find so you know but uh, it was back in 1975 there was a game called Colossal Cave Adventure and uh, this was hosted on a mainframe at the University of New Hampshire and this game was what you'd call sort of a, I guess, sort of multi-user dimension. Of being, am I getting that acronym right? It's a mud uh, dungeon, not dungeon. dimension. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, you plebs. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Th- th- these, this is a medium close to Abina's heart, so you know, I apologize. <laughs> um, so I figured he would know. Um, but so yeah, it's a multi-user dungeon, and it was hosted on their mainframe at the uh, campus. And how you would access it was you'd go to like one of the mini, you know, Unix terminals on the campus, and you know, which were used for other things such as like your, your computer science or engineering courses or whatever to you know access processing time or email or whatever. And um, you would log in to the mainframe and to play the game. And if for those of you who don't know what a multi-user dungeon is sort of like, it's a text-based game where you issue commands to actually forward your character through the game. So you may start the game and it drops you in and says, hey, you're standing in a field and to the north is a town, to the east is a forest, to the south is a you know scary looking swamp. And you would type in commands to say, you know, hey, go north because I want to go to the town. And you know, then your character would move north and it would give you another sort of piece of flavor text to say, hey, here's where you are now, and you see all these things around you, and then you may say, like, pick up rock or pick up sword or whatever. Um, I know, it sounds very boring, but, you know, Abina, you know, that's fine. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds very boring, but that was, like, my life as a kid. That's too funny. You know, it's what they had at the time, and and you know what? It was very popular because um, the university actually had to ban the game from the mainframes. They actually detected... It there because of its RAM usage, which was about 300 kilobytes. Yes, I know, and nowadays that is laughably small, like since I can't get a Xbox game under 20 gigs, uh, you know, or whatever, but right. um, that was almost half that mainframe's RAM. So, yes, they saw it. Dang. That. <laughs> yeah, crazy. so, yeah, they had to, like, search that out and ban it. But, I mean, you know, that was the first sort of inklings of like a multiplayer game and it wasn't even people playing with each other now it was just people you know connecting to a central centrally run program on a mainframe to play this game um so those were the early early days um yeah uh now after that you know personal computers started to ramp up you know later on in the 80s you know at um taking it sort of past just the university realm. So here's your player base expanding now, too. So it goes from, like, universities, people just who have access to computing and can maybe play a game that somebody made because they were bored and loved D&D, um, to now we're expanding to, like, sort of the personal computing market. But, you know, there's still not a lot of general networking there except for a serial link, which uh, came along. And what a serial link is... Is actually say connecting up two computers together via serial cable. So you actually have a physical cable from one computer to another, um, 
you know, connect it up and they would exchange commands, you know, much in the way of, you know, modern network word, but it was would, but it's just the two of them. So it's like, say, if like Bina and I got our computers and wanted to play a game of Hangman, which was one of the earlier on a, the Commodore PET first, the earliest, uh, sorry, serial link games, you know, we'd connect both of our computers to it. And then, <laughs> as exciting as this sounds, we could play a game of Hangman together. Seriously, mm. Eduardo invented <clears throat> Hangman. Oh, no, no Eduardo <laughs> mastered Hangman. All right, he perfected he the art. Yeah, the Hangman. So, yeah. <laughs> the Hangman. Definitive. He, yeah, there were ones before, as back back into the eighties, but Eduardo's now is the definitive. One. It it is interesting. You're talking about like the just this isn't have nothing to do with networking, but just going to size of these computers and they're running at three hundred kilobytes to run like. When you said the serial link, yeah, like you said, it doesn't sound like a lot, mm-hmm. but it's probably really hard to get even two of those computers back then together because the prices on this stuff back right. then was like right. comparable to what computers cost now. You're like fifteen, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, but they barely did anything, right. <laughs> and you spend three thousand, and that's like three thousand dollars, nineteen seventy-five. So what, good lord, you know, it's like paying five, ten thousand dollars for this machine that's pretty cool for tech guys, you know, but it doesn't do much. So that was probably still was a big deal getting these two things to connect. And right. Hang I also find it like really interesting that as far back as we can remember, there's always been games like this is the Commodore Pet playing with Hangman. And before that, there were you know card games or I don't know bottle cap game, bottle cap games. So there's like every whatever whatever medium you have, where it's, whether it's the introduction of networking or not, there's like games are always a part of that story, a part of history, which is kind of crazy to me. So it's like you'll never get out of the job. I think. I think. If you're in games. Absolutely. Yeah. You, the games are eternal. People want to play them. Kids want to play them. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, as far as, like, the, uh, I guess, the play space goes for this, like Andrew was saying, you know, these things got more expensive. So, it in a way, maybe you say, hey, you're just connecting two things now versus multiple people connecting to a mainframe. But this was actually two people playing with each other. And yeah, that is a lot of money back then, but that actually got it outside of just the university space. So now we're talking like homes and things like that. So the space is kind of growing a little. And from that, it kind of grew even further to the local area network. So um, so this is the first time you're starting to see, you know, like a bunch of computers all linked into the same network without like, I mean, they had, you know, say your ethernet cable plugged into the network but this wasn't like the serial link where these two computers were directly connected via their ports so you know you know they had their own addresses on the network to communicate and things like that and this is where we start getting into a lot of like the more modern games and just the start of like the big multiplayer um i guess push or explosion um so again, from my little Wikipedia and Googling, I found that uh, the first really sort of popular land game was one called Spectre, um, and I didn't find a lot of information on it, so this take this with a grain of salt, but it was the first popular land game, and it used Apple Talk, so I guess this was on, you know, an Apple IIe, I think, or one of those, that, and it, you know, you could actually talk back and forth over the local area network with that, but the bigger one, which everyone will recognize, and is pretty obvious, is um, Doom. Um, it was one of the early, or definitely the biggest hit for uh, land play, where you could get up to a four-player deathmatch going on your local area network. And, uh, I mean, this this was a little difficult because, well, it was easier than anything before, but still difficult to today's standards, where you would have to get the IP addresses of all the other computers, and people would have to, 
you know, each person would have to put in everybody else's IP address into their Doom game so they could reach out and connect and talk to those other players. And we'll get into sort of the networking model for this a little later, but that had to be done because they were all passing commands back and forth to each other and playing over the local network. So like your movement, your shooting, all that being passed around on this local network. And as you can imagine, that really had a lot of appeal. Because you, you know, have four people sitting there just like fragging each other. It's like, you know, you, this is the start of land parties. You know, you can actually sit down in the same room with people or even have somebody across the, you know, um, the university, you know, on the same network and play these games. Well, uh, that's what I, I was going to say. Anything's good that you can add party as, as a descriptor on the end of it because. Right. <laughs> I, I, and this all, this went, I mean, it started obviously in the 90s, but it went all the way. I kind of. I mean, I would almost argue, I guess you do have more, we'll get to that in a second, internet stuff, but until even the console internet, like Xbox Live became actually viable, LAN parties still existed, because the big LAN party thing that I had more of when I was through college is Halo, Oh yeah. Halo LAN parties, because the first Halo wasn't multiplayer online, but still, even with the second one was out... Nobody had Xbox Live when they were doing Xbox, even though they added that ability or whatever, you could do it in there. Mm-hmm. But we still just ha- toted people. Te- this is it's crazy with this, too, because it's before flat screens as well. This is like, I mean, it's right when flat <laughs> yeah. screens are coming in, too. So you're like, these big old CRTVs, I've like, many a time were like just toting out of people's car in front of my, but then you just do it for like six, seven hours. And it was great. But we, I, that, that was such a. That's another one of those. This is like starts down like the old man corner of this of this because it was such <laughs> a special thing when it happened. Because you're like, oh, these people are coming town, or we're going to do it for some reason. This is when I was a sort of, you know, beginning adult started to work, but we still like every now and then you'd get everybody together. But you're like, we're going to play these games for this, you know, six seven hours. We made mixes, you know. It was almost the same way with like the video stores are gone now too. It's like it's such a, so easy to do this stuff now but there's something really special about that event like a land party you know because you didn't, couldn't do it as easily at your house and so it made it it was a big deal you know for people well, at yeah. that time yeah I, no I agree I, I went to a few of myself and it's just like yeah this like you said this great feeling of having everyone in the same space and I you know I still think there's some value to that not to get right. off, off on too much of a tangent about just sort of like the gaming culture and just you know all that but i mean it's like to actually sit with your friends like in the same space and just be able to communicate with them that quickly and see their reactions and things like that you know it's it was really a lot of fun and really special um absolutely so um but yeah so you know the the land opened up those type of things to people and um you know again this play space grew so now computers getting cheaper local area networks were you know viable for multiple people to get on and actually you know Quick question, Andrew. With the the Halo thing, I never really played with other people on the Xbox. Like, was that a system link type of thing, or was that actually LAN play? <sighs> now you got to make me think. Well, what was I'm always wondering LAN? if the system link is that more like almost the serial link type of well, thing. Well, but we had like four or five of them though, so I would say mm-hmm. that. But we had more than two, so I mean, maybe it might have been daisy chain. They might have just have made their own little network together. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's a time when we did have routers and Wi-Fi existed. So, ah. not on those Xboxes didn't have Wi-Fi probably, but they had. No, the I'm first thinking, ones didn't. Yeah, 
I'm thinking it was a land. I'm thinking, I don't think we connected. It was, a, I don't know. We yeah, I think it was. Because I think I did it during a Christmas one time, but this was like Halo 2 or something. But it was definitely just a land thing. And we just okay. connected on the same network. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I always saw the system link thing on Xbox. I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably pretty cool. And I never did it. So, um, anyway, so. You could system link it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, but I don't know if that also did, like, we just did it to a router as well. So. Right on. Um, but, yeah, so. But, I mean, you know, after that, you know, there came uh, the internet age. So, it's like, you know, some of the, you know, like, all this routing and stuff kind of got you know it still happens but taken away from you that's when things like you know we get into modern multiplayer games like quake world or you know xbox live or psn because now you've just got you know your tcp ip connections and you can play with anyone in the world you know from here to germany to japan you know and that um that's when that play space grew to just like international like levels and uh well real quick just to add before we dig into the internet too much to connect that to the lag, the the, the lag, to the land thing, mm-hmm. um, it's funny now because can you even do that with an Xbox One or PS4? Because it'd be funny now if you did that. We brought all our. I mean, you could obviously do it with computers, but most oh. every single game is talking to another server, so it's like you're, all oh, you're doing is yeah. really just slowing it down to be like now you have nine things at your house that are all talking on your one internet connection, and right. that's to get all the information back down. It'd be almost it'd be worse. You know, it's worse performance. Well, no, that, that's an interesting thought. You're right, because, you know, it's like, okay, I got all these guys on my network. They're all logging to Xbox Live. They're probably talking to dedicated servers. They may be also logged into Ubisoft or, or Origin or, you know, whatever other service to, like, communicate for, uh, you know, credits or achievements or something like that. So, you know, I don't know. That may actually make the experience a little crappier. Like, if you all bring your stuff over together, you know may slow it down i don't know though like the bandwidth has gotten such nowadays that i don't think it would be that big a deal but you know yeah. i don't know if the capability is even still there yeah. but you can't do it though i mean because in destiny you'd have to I mean, some games you just have to be in line though you have to right. talk to the server first so it's like it'd be pointless i mean except for to be together like you said yeah <laughs> and i mean but it's like yeah it's like am i gonna like at this point drag you know like like Obina and I drag TVs over to your place and like our Xboxes and do all. That. It's like yeah, that would be kind of cool, but at the same time, it's much easier for me to be lazy and sit on my couch and talk to you over Xbox a lot. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, <clears throat> and and that's what's great about modern gaming and networking now. It's like even even if you're not say playing a multiplayer game, it's like the networking of things has gotten to a point where it's like yeah, we can sit on Discord or Xbox Live or whatever, and we can chat, and you can be playing Destiny, I can be playing Onrush, and be maybe playing his mud, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Asshole. You're going to be typing away. Sword. Um, that is true. We've done that We've done that recently with we all four. Like, we've done what that was before. that like, event? Was, yeah. was that I time think it was the, um, the Extra Life, right? Extra what Life, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, well, you, Extra Life too. but I'm even thinking about there was times like when Destiny 2 first came out, and we were playing a bunch. Mm-hmm. But then other people, like even people that aren't in the show, like your friends, Ryan, so would hop on the little chat, and other people would hop on, and Zach's friend Paul, like everybody would just like hop on for a second. They might play in other stuff, but we we're all just like in this room talking while other people were playing different games and different. Oh, places, that's true. You know? Yeah, or yeah, they're in a different group or something. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's great. Yeah, that's I love that shit. So yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So let's get on to some of the networking models used in these games as they evolved. Um, because there is kind of a, 
fair amount to unpack here, but uh, it's it's pretty interesting. I think at least I don't know. I'm I'm a pretty boring guy. Uh, let's see. So <laughs> we don't uh, disagree. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Mud player. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that turned into a slur all of a sudden. <laughs> um, yeah, but so let's get into the networking models for some of these. So like I was saying earlier on, you know. These things started out on very local networks, right? The serial links, the local area networks, you know, it was very sort of for the time fast bandwidth, right? You didn't have to go a physically long distance. These things were connected right to each other. There wasn't, you know, there weren't hops in between. There was not a lot of packet loss, etc. So these were very sort of close, clean, fast connections. Um, and so the first model we're going to talk about is a peer-to-peer model, which, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it very much works in with this type of thing. So what, what do you guys think the peer-to-peer model is? If you're going to write a game and say, you know, do you guys have any experience with the peer-to-peer model in networking? Uh, yes. Well, in games, I guess I guess my first introduction to peer-to-peer was through, like, uh, LimeWire and what was the other one? Yeah. Uh, you tour yeah. and stuff, yeah, because I something, yeah, 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 yeah. Napster, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all those things, like where you, I guess that's true. We do know what peer to peer means because of piracy. Yeah, yeah. because of so piracy. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, so yeah, exactly. Is that what piracy you mean, taught Ryan? me anything? <laughs> Is that what you mean, Ryan? <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> but explain us the, the legal use the of peer to peer. is on the way, and, but in the meantime, um, <laughs> go ahead. No, so but peer to peer. No, actually, that's funny because there there is some of that mentality in those LimeWire and other networks where it is you know correct connecting directly to other computers to you know receive data in a regimented way. Um, but to get to more particulars for games, uh, you guys have played RTSs, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Age of Empires, obviously. Yeah, I, of course you have. And um, so basically, what peer to peer is is everybody is connecting to everybody else, right? So sort of like in sort of that land fashion, um, and you're sending your data for your game state to every other node in the network. So like I'm sending my data to Abina, and I'm also sending it to Andrew, and then Andrew's sending it to Abina and me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and basically, you're sending snapshots of your commands to everyone else. So there's a lot of data and a lot of... It's almost like a broadcast in Unity or something, right? Basically right. It's, it's similar to that, yeah. Um, because you're casting it out to everybody else to make sure, hey, this is what I did. I clicked here. I sent units there. You know, Everybody gets that. And then everybody updates their simulation with that data. So you're essentially abstracting the game into sort of a series of turns. Um, so it's not just you know completely random because you need some sort of synchronization for this. Because if we're all just sort of blasting commands around, if you know it could get a little muddied about like you know uh, oh well he, when did he move his units versus he moved they moved their units you know it, and it could basically cause some disjointed um, experience like you know I may see one thing and Andrew sees another thing. Um, but it's basically, you, so you have these essentially kind of prescribed turns where you're, the game will process the information from everyone else, which means that, say, for me, I need to wait on the information from Andrew and Obina before I can run my simulation. And they need to wait on the data from me before they can run their simulations. So it's basically everyone sort of, at a certain rate, sending out their commands and then your local client processing those and updating the simulation. I got so, a random question. Yeah about peer-to-peer and networking does peer-to-peer can peer-to-peer peer be implemented like 
through like TCP versus UDP, or does it have to be choose one like uh, protocol over the other? No, it it really doesn't. Because I mean, here's the thing: is like that protocol is independent of sort of your model of mm-hmm. like how you're going to process the data or communicate. So that you're looking at a protocol for sending data versus again how the data is processed or communicated. So you know you could do it on either. Now UDP. <laughs> Just, just a thing. On, on that, on that note, I was just wondering. I'm not sure if we're we've touched on that at all, or we're, are we going to, to touch on it? But about like TCP versus UDP, because it seems like those are kind of key and core to networking. Uh, they are um, to actually. I, yeah, I wasn't going to sort of get that low level because. Okay. But we can real fast. TCP/IP is um, the uh, control protocol that actually you know it handles all the routing packet loss information ordering for you so it's it's a very heavy protocol but it basically says when i'm sending out this information to everyone over the network it and i'm receiving it as well i make sure i get it in order i don't lose any information if i do i ask for it again and wait for it and then put it back in order it's it's a very safe and secure way of sending information it guarantees you're going to get it in the right order. transactional right so that yeah. yeah I mean, transactional, I don't know if it's sort of, quite, yeah, I mean, sort just, of, yeah. It's not going to yeah. move on until it knows it, it's up to date right. properly. Now, UDP, Wild West. Uh, it's a fire so, hose. Yeah, it's a fire <laughs> hose. Uh, I think it's, what is it, user datagram protocol. And it's basically saying like, hey, I'm you shoot information to a place, that's it. You like know, for video streaming or live stream or something. Exactly, that's... or you know, or like maybe even movement updates in a video game. It's like stuff that doesn't have isn't like super critical. You can like tolerate packet loss and or you you know something like that. You don't have to have every single update. You can kind of fudge it a little, but it's a very nice protocol for just saying I'm going to fire like you said, Andrew. Fire, fire and forget. Yeah, fire and forget. Take it. So um, that's kind of why I just brought those up just because you were talking about peer-to-peer and like the synchronization, quote-unquote synchronization mm-hmm. that you need to have there. So that's why I just brought those two protocols up to show, well, not to really to show, but to see that they're independent of the actual model implementation, even though one is like, hey, one is kind of structured in a way that it guarantees uh, delivery, packet delivery, whereas the other right. one isn't. No, and that, that is kind of a good way to sort of illustrate this and that, like, you know, for, for, say for this model, like we're talking about with peer-to-peer, you know, you need to receive everybody's commands, right? You know, they're, they're issuing orders to their troops and you need to have that and the, the player needs to know that that's going to be received so they don't feel cheated. So using something like TCP IP very much makes sense in a situation like this because it's a simulation that you need to make sure you get ordered data that is guaranteed so if you know if i lose your click said you attacked me you know <laughs> just said well didn't get that attack from obina my side says i'm good you know whereas you're actually actively destroying all my troops and so the simulation would become uh disjoint you know it wouldn't be deterministic anymore you'd be doing one thing i'd be doing another and it wouldn't make any sense um but yeah so your selection of protocol protocol for some of these networking models definitely very much matters um we're going to keep it a little more high level than that but it's kind of good to bring that in to let you know that like hey underneath the covers there's a lot of different ways to sort of fire information around some more reliable than the others um i just like sort of as i was saying like these uh these type of peer-to-peer games you know for like an rts 
it's sort of difficult to make it deterministic because like you said you're basically playing out a simulation of all our commands over our turns so if you know this makes it difficult for say a third person or sorry well in our case a fourth person like if zach all of a sudden came online and wanted to play in our game we'd all basically have to like you said shove all our like fire a fire hose of at him of you know information that hey here's all the you know commands that have been processed by all three of these guys since the start of the game so typically that wasn't allowed at the time with a lot of those early rts's and even still now a lot of times it's not because you know you could bring somebody else in but you know it's like hey if we're 20 minutes into a game of starcraft then that person would have to get 20 minutes worth of data that's been exchanged between all of us and make sure that they can sort of fast forward up to our point you know and that's just not really viable so that's why they had lobbies where you would say all right are we all ready to play did we pick our you know races or factions or whatever and then okay let's go and then the game was locked out it's like great now you guys are running the simulation take care of it so yeah peer-to-peer is where that that was always the issue with a lot of Again, this is probably day, like about ten years ago, right when you know after Halo, the first couple of Halos, but when the Xbox three hundred and sixty was out, when every game, you know, whether Call of Duty or Halo three or those ones would be, like I think Halos are always peer to peer, but then like mm-hmm. Call of Duty at one point, like we had a dedicated server, so because we're serious about esports and stuff like that, right? But I, I just remember when learning about that, we mentioned this the other day, but. The Halo Three, I think peer to peer is hilarious when it messes up because you get crazy. Like if, if the server goes down, like in Destiny now, mm-hmm. it just shuts you off and kicks you out, and you're like, you know, like you know right away, and it knows there's a problem. But there's a the old Halo Three. There used to be this really weird. Only they were really good. They actually performance was really good, but. Every now and then, when it would mess up, it would turn into some surrealist painting or whatever, where like people are like, because it's you know you got everybody's information. Like a warthog would be like sticking into the floor, and some guys just like shooting his own head in the corner. Like, what is going on? Everybody's like, it just turned into the story. He's like, I have to get out because they just couldn't recover, right? Um, but that yeah, because but then you think about the technology and that behind it, you're like, yeah, if it just messes up, it's a complete mess of who's you know what data is up to date or not. Yeah if, yeah, if that data and that gets out of that lockstep or screws up, then it's like, oh, if you're not handling that well, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, like you said, the world can turn into, like, Dolly or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think the reason it did that in that thing instead of just shutting down is because they had they had some kind of self-recovery technology in place because it, it could go down and get out but then recover itself, and you could mm. see it trying to do it and then just getting weirder, and then sometimes it would work, but most of the time it would just get even crazier. <laughs> I almost want to stay in for that. You know, it's like, we're yeah. just going to go. This could be very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. But, um, like, let's see, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, basically, that's that's sort of the peer-to-peer model right there in a nutshell. And um, that was actually also Doom's uh, first multiplayer pass, uh, which was, you know, it was played on a LAN, so it actually used a peer-to-peer model, and that sort of RTS or that RTS mentality about passing around the commands. So you're talking about, hey, I'm going to move forward in a FPS and then shoot and try, you know, this person died, that person didn't, you know, that type of thing. That was that was like an RTS back in the day. And it played well over fast connections, um, like, you know, your local type of stuff. But, you know, when you got out onto the Internet and modems, you know, back in the day, like, hey, I'm on a 14.4, baud modem, it played like shit. So, because uh, <laughs> you can imagine, you know, if you're sitting around and um, 
we're all playing a game of Doom and you're trying to run around the level and you've got to wait for everybody's commands to be processed before you can see your simulation move forward, that's going to be horrible because you've got the you're going to be basically hindered by the slowest person in that network's mm-hmm. connection. So, you know, if Abina and I are running these nice like university 100 millisecond connections and Andrew's at home and he's got like a, you know, 500 millisecond ping, we're all going to have to wait on that. And so now you're just looking at a half second delay for every time you want to move forward or shoot or something like that. So obviously this was something that just would not work in the internet world. And that comes to our next sort of model that sort of sol- solves that problem, which is the uh, client server model. So this is much better suited for internet play because uh, we've moved from like all clients talking to each other to the classic model, which probably a lot of you know. And like Andrew's mentioning earlier with dedicated servers, it's a client talking to a server. So the simulation has moved from locally and being shared to everyone to centralized on a server and being shared to everyone. So it kind of pushes all the um, simulation work up onto a dedicated server that is not somebody playing the game. And that works out a lot better for these type of like fast-paced Twitch games. Um, because you know now you're only dealing, dealing with the latency of sending your commands to that and being processed back. And it decouples people from being hurt by the slowest person in the network. So now, again, in that earlier model, if Andrew has a 500 millisecond um, delay for his game, I don't care. You know, the it server, just affects me. It right? just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just affects Andrew now. So it's not like it slows Obina and I down waiting for us to move. We can freely move around and still and not have to worry about the fact that you know maybe Andrew's getting things 300 milliseconds later than us. You know, or you know he's sending those commands later than us. It'd so. probably be Zach. That was a weird connection. Though. Actually, you know what? He's the better example. I should use him as the technology sort of dunce or the guy who just gets unlucky with things. Yeah. Sorry, he's not a dunce. I shouldn't say that. But, you know, he's just the one who somehow... He's cursed. He's cursed. Yeah, he's cursed. Yeah. He, the gremlins find him. I don't know. Yeah. He smells good. I'm not sure what it is. The gremlins love him. So, But anyway... The uh, so this this is all the gameplay I think or model I think everyone's familiar with. So you have basically a client on like which is the game, and it connects up to a server that runs the simulation, which is the gameplay code. And you know this is very nice. Like I was saying for the FPS model, because I can just like my button pushes and commands get sent up to the server, processed, and then I get the new state back and update it. And so it kind of moves things forward very quickly. It's just like my input's processed, I get it back, I re-render, it's, it's great. Um, so there's a lot of pros to this. It was like, like I was saying, the latency is only dependent on the server connection. You can drop in and drop out now, so we're not having to like rerun commands. It's just like, hey, what's the current game state? Okay, I'm gonna interact with that. So, you know, if you guys have been playing Quake for 20 minutes, I can jump in and just, it says, you know, Venus here, Andrew's here, they're pointed this way, they're moving that way, and there's a rocket flying through the air over here. You better watch out for that. So Yeah, or if you like the now that's back in the day when at least the first shooters I played, they, like I said, they're peer to peer, and you get out of the match and you're done. Now mm-hmm. you can actually rejoin, you know, click back yeah. in and it'll rejoin whatever you were. So. Exactly, exactly. So you, you can rejoin, you can get your state back, and just keep playing the game. So it was a huge boon for video games. You know, even you know, RTSs and things like that could start using that. Um, that model, well, well actually, they, they probably, that's probably a bad thing to say. They probably wouldn't use that model because they need that more deterministic type of thing. Um, there's actually a modern example that I'll get to later. But uh, 
Yeah, so this is but this is a great model for things like Quake, where it's fast and furious. You know, you need to have a information communicated quickly and processed, and not delay anything. Um, so that was great. Um, but there was actually one more thing with this model that got added to it, which is client side prediction. And because you still had the issue in the client server model of saying, hey, you know, if I send my command up to the server and I have to wait for it to come back and it gives me the new state, well, that's great. You know, I'll have to worry about the latency between me and the server. But say you've got a crappy connection, you're not like playing, again, on a university connection or like a fiber connection nowadays, you know, and you have something that's like, you know 100 milliseconds 200 milliseconds delay well you're still suffering from hey i sent my command up it's got to be processed and i get the new state to commit comes back down to my client and then i see myself move forward well what client side prediction does is say hey let's just assume we're right like let's move forward with our processing locally and only if the server tells us we're wrong will we do something about it. So as long as uh, we and the server agree, we're doing fine. So that gives you an immediate responsiveness in your game now, which is very nice. So you can say, hey, when I move forward, I just move forward. As fast as I can render it locally, I move forward. And now it doesn't feel choppy because without that prediction, it can feel very choppy based off your connection. Um, excuse me. Yeah, it, it, I was going to say it kind of feels like they started the client-server thing and then... And it was okay. It worked well enough for some of those games, but then the the local hardware kept getting better and more like 60 frames a second when all these other things happen. You're like, we need something way faster than this now because it's not going to cut it just to, you know, like you said, wait around for that choppiness to no, smooth I, out. Absolutely. And um, actually, I forgot to say at the top of the show, I'll mention this again at the end of the show, I was uh, reading an article on the uh, Gaffer on Games about what every programmer needs to know about networking and uh, he went into actually talking about how, yeah, this was discovered a lot in Quake and Unreal and things like that where, you know, hey, it, it feels great, but, you know, with that client-side prediction, you know, it feels great with a client-server model, but you get even more with that client-side prediction because now you get the smoothness of actually, like, you were locally processing everything as well as the, like, authoritativeness of a server, and, you know, you only feel things when they need to be updated so you know you, you may feel occasional rubber banding or inter like interpolating back to a position but it's much better because you're not waiting on all those commands so so anyway so, so that was go ahead just a random question do you do you feel like all games all or like client server model games use client side prediction nowadays like yeah, is there I, a reason I, not to use it no, there's there's really no reason not to use it. I mean, because if if you can, because that get is what gives that responsiveness. I mean, like if you, I mean, there, okay. So how this came about was also from an idealistic view of the client server model. Like if you have a very fast connection to the server, say sub ten milliseconds, yeah, you know, pr you probably don't need the client side prediction. It probably won't even feel it. But that's not reality for a lot of people. Is that you know, um, that even even today, you know, if I'm connecting up to games I'm not gonna have like I mean I'll have a like a fast connection but uh, you'll still feel that latency if I'm sending a command and waiting for it to come back to update the simulation um, so yeah it's still used today and I think you know every game needs that to you know that's gonna try to be a fast twitch style game would you, know? you say like games like uh, I was about to say solitaire but that's definitely not really networked but if you had like a multi-player 
solitaire game what's a word i don't know is that free sale i don't know something that would work like maybe say poker let's say poker would could you could you or would you use client side prediction for something like that no no because like okay so client side prediction more comes into these faster twitch style games not where, turn-based or whatever exactly right? not right. turn-based is like there's not a regimented like state to state progression necessarily um so like you're saying with a card game or an rts RTS being a little more kind of an abstract simulation of a turn base, but like, say, go, let's go with a card game type of thing. It's like, no, you're moving from state to state, like, hey, it's your turn to make a bet, it's your turn to play a card, whatever. You know, you don't need that prediction because it's like, no, we're all going to wait on that command. We need that command. It's not that fast pace of thing. Um, but when you're talking about I'm running through a spaceport with a blaster and about trying to like melt somebody's face, yeah, you kind of need that responsiveness. Right. Um, so I think that's where the delineation for it is. It's like if you've got something that really, you know, has a moment-to-moment need to feel like you have accuracy, yeah, you should probably use client-side prediction. But if it's you know something like a card game, no, you're, you're not going to need that. So. Oh, sorry. One more question to yeah. wrap up client-side prediction. Does like inclusion or implementation of a client side prediction does that lend itself to any room for like hacking and cheating no because you're still dealing oh and sorry actually that's a very good point um you know one thing i left out with the client server model is it's very hard to hack or cheat that model because you have a remote server that is overlord of all things of the simulation so you know if you try to bs yourself and say hey guess what you know, I know I should be moving it a meter per second. I'm moving it 10 meters per second. You know, it's like, uh, no, you're not. You're, <laughs> you should only move this fast. I'll move you forward at your maximum possible velocity, but you're not gonna, I'm not gonna tell everyone else you're moving at 10 meters per second. You may see it locally. You may trick yourself locally with the prediction and see yourself move forward at 10 meters a second. But what's gonna come back immediately is the server's gonna be like, nope, you only move this far. So really all you're doing is causing your prediction to sort of error correct. And and that server can detect monkey business way faster and ban exactly. those people too. Yeah, and I mean, that's ultimately what's going to happen is, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I detect your cheating. Get the fuck out of here. You know, I'm not, you shouldn't be moving that fast. So, um, yeah, so the client, the, client's, uh, the client server model is definitely great for making sure people are not cheating. Um, the peer-to-peer model, you could still get some, um, like, hijinks and monkey shines in there. So, uh, let's see. So, so we got a couple more models here we're going to go through real fast. But, because um, they're, yeah, because, I mean, the majority of the games nowadays, are, they're using that client-server model. But uh, there's also sort of the client-as-a-host model, which has come about in the, um, in the uh, console days. So, say... You know, the great thing about having the client server model, if you have dedicated servers, it's fast, it's efficient, there's a good play experience, but that costs money. You know, it's like, you know, you've got to pay for the bandwidth, you've got to pay for the processing, you can have those machines on. You have to put them at certain points in the world now, like, hey, is this a U.S. East, U.S. West, is this an Asian server? You know, think about spreading that out all over the place. That could be costly, you know, for a company. So there's also a client as a host model, which is like what games like Call of Duty have done. And that's saying, like, hey, say, you, you know, Andrew's Xbox is not going to be the host for Obina and I. We're kind of in the same area looking for a game. Why not just like offload the server, you know, capabilities to him? And it's like, well, that's great because that saves the company a lot of money, right? And it's like now we don't have to worry about regional servers or this and that. We can say, hey, let's just play it off of this guy's hardware. And so we connect, we play a game. Yay. 
but there's some disadvantages to that and mostly that's on the consumer and i feel like where it's like you know now my my experience is based off of like say andrew's connection or you know he has an advantage because now he's running the simulation locally so he essentially has zero lag right so i'm running around the corner to shoot him you know he's got he actually will see that simulated sooner than i will you know and you know if he you know so he has a slight advantage in a lot of those situations um there's actually i think some stuff in halo andrew if, i don't know if you remember this where you know when people found out they were hosts they would actually throttle the other players have you heard about this it's vaguely vaguely i remember some of that stuff at that time but no, not, I never looked into it. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I talked to a buddy who played this. Uh, well, played Halo way more than I, but it, you know, if you actually could find out you were host, you could actually adjust your router or your connection, like within your network, to inhibit the other players. So it's like, oh, oh great, man. yeah, I'm host. Well, guess what? Now I'm regulating the simulation, which means I'm in control of the outbound packets and information. What if I just put a little delay on things, or you know, I don't send out as many or you know what what if i throttle those connections so that's an unfortunate bit about that too is that you know if somebody is malicious they could figure out a way to potentially make the game experience worse for others so yeah it it seemed like that that model needed a lot more optimization because i feel like this we're talking about halo 3 is the one halo that i played hundreds of hours of and it feels like you could always one feel like, the problem was that somebody had a crappy connection. I don't know how they determined the connection at the beginning. Right. There was also a slow uptake in it resetting. Like, if that guy had the crappy connection and he was the host, it would just remain on him until you guys got out of the party and kind of tried to reset the party. Oh, so there was right. No, there was yeah. no, like, you know, well, let's get the... There's, there, what The optimization stuff wasn't in there as well as you'd like it to be, so it, it became a hassle. But, yeah, I remember stuff like that, and... And I don't even know. I think at the time the legend we just like I think it's determined by who's hosting the party, and that might there might be some truth to that. I have no idea, you know, because somebody had to be the initial person inviting everybody mm-hmm. with the lobby. But um, but yeah, it it's just something that required a lot of optimization. That I don't think it actually got back. This is ten years ago, twelve years ago. Yeah, and I mean, and that's also I think why a lot of people sort of like get really on the bandwagon of like we want dedicated servers is because you know shenanigans would happen or it just you know they were at the mercy of somebody's crappy connection and like no i want to play this game with a direct connection to a server on like you know that's been hosted on like a amazon or microsoft network that's got high bandwidth and i'm not worried about if like joe schmo is throttling me or he just has a shitty connection it's like better experience put everyone on you know a a dedicated server in the cloud quote unquote um so but yeah, so, you know, that's sort of like a lot of the modern games was client as host. And then, <clears throat> actually, there's kind of been a little bit of a modern peer-to-peer, a few games have done a modern peer-to-peer approach, and just go through this real fast. But uh, For Honor, which I played a little of, is kind of a fun game, but um, it used apparently uses sort of a peer-to-peer approach for things. So, in like we were saying earlier, that's sort of passing those commands between each other you know, to actually execute the simulation state. Um, you know, I tried to find some more information about this. I don't know a, a ton about it, but, you know, as far as the combat between, like, opponents, th- that's what it seems like. Is like, you know, you go to swing your sword, and that was the command sent over to the other guy, and then he, you know, swings his sword or defends, and that's sent to you, and you both simulate that and move, move on. And 
it's weird because it oddly makes some sense for this game, I feel like, because, you know, it's it's one of the things where you guys are simulating this combat in lockstep, so you kind of want that sort of regimented, hey, if we can, you know, it's 60 frames plus a second, simulate this combat and exchange these commands, that makes more sense than some of the twitchiness, or that feels like the outcomes are more deterministic. Um, and I feel that can be done with that game because it's not like an FPS necessarily. It's like you've got sort of that movement and, you know, combat. But, you know, when you had actually engaged with somebody, it was more of a slow sort of sword fight. So, um, you know, it's kind of surprising to see that in a, or hear about that in a modern game. But, I mean, again, it's like, you know, there's some other upsides to that too, which is, you know, there's, again, no server cost, data distribution. It's locally stable because if somebody drops out of the match, there's no server that goes down or anything. It's just like, great if we're playing like an eight or a four v four, you know. Oh well, that guy's gone. We don't care. You don't have to migrate a host maybe in the clientist host model we just described. Like oh, playing Call of Duty, this guy decides to disconnect. All of a sudden you get this pause. You know, let's push everyone over to somebody else as a server. You don't have that for that peer to peer model. Um, but again, you've got issues like you know cheap prevention, harder to implement, and you know, if you're playing with somebody with a shitty connection, you could get a shitty experience. So it was kind of interesting to see them choose that. Maybe for a simulation perspective, they wanted accuracy for combat. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, they chose it and it seemed to work okay for them, I guess. I don't know. So that's sort I think of a at some point. I think at know? some point they, they eventually switched to dedicated some point oh did they? I, remember, I, I don't know i think i remember hearing that or I just remember hearing a hubbub about that because i remember before you sent this video I, I didn't even know the details of this video it's fascinating this youtube video now analyzing the actual that which the model mm-hmm. but before that i remember them talking not in kind of more vaguer terms about how they want to go dedicated though people wanted them to do that and they yeah we'll do it but the guy sounded like he was like he was saying that it, the the old way is actually for some things, the way they do it with this method is actually more accurate. So I was like, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you can kind of get a deterministic and more right. accurate representation of things. And I'd be very interested to see if they did move it to dedicated. It's like, is if they move to a more client-server model, I mean, now you're ripping out your whole networking architecture out of the game or revamping it heavily. So that would be interesting that if, like, in one patch, like, by the way, it's dedicated servers now. It's like, right. oh, shit, that's a lot of effort. But that's also kind of cool because if that's what the community wanted and like a company, you know, is going to invest in that to say like, you want this? Okay, fine. We'll give you this. You know, that's a pretty big lift. So that's Ubisoft's new model. That's what they do for other games now. Like, what's that other one? The Seed, Rainbow Six Seed. Right, the game's yeah, like, yeah. has like 30, 40 million players now. And it when it launched, it like sold like 100,000. It was a tank. It, is a bomb when it launched. But they just keep adding to all these games, Wildlands and then For Honor 2 apparently. They did a featured a whole section about For Honor at E3, talking about new stuff they're adding. And I was like, really? I was like, All right. <laughs> like okay, all for free. Yeah, yeah. They, they're really about this, you know, adding, keeping the fans on. I guess they've realized if they can get, you know, with they did with Siege, it's like three years later, four. Is that a game might be like four years old, five years old? You get thirty million players, and you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, that pays for itself if you actually, which is a great model to go down. But anyways, yeah, it sounds like they might have done something like that if that's if those people demanded it. Right, and yeah, no, you're right. That's awesome. You know, it's like because so many companies will just. I feel like, oh, that game didn't do what we wanted in the first 
month you know it's like we'll just kick that to the curb it's like well yeah what if you actually tried to fix it because you've already got this huge investment in it why not refine it make it better whatever better is for that game and then you know try to make some money because that's it's got to be cheaper than going back and making a new game i mean my god right yeah some but they have like extra they have like money in the bank though (laughs) to do that true i mean they do have a lot of money i mean again that's kind of back to the like what we've discussed before on the show is like you know indie or mid-level company versus hey or a huge corporation like ubisoft or somebody and say we can throw money at that problem okay let's do it so um one last quick one streaming games um you know this is a model where pretty much everything's done on a server even the rendering so you know services like on live where you'd connect up pick a game play it and you're basically just sending your io you know or just well, actually sorry just your inputs you're like i'm moving here i'm hitting this button and then it like simulates and renders the frame on the server and sends it back um those typically have not done so well so far i don't feel like people like that very much um, i think well i think if it worked <laughs> me, i yeah if it when, worked, i remember yeah. on live was like god on live was probably about six years ago and it like in that yeah but i remember trying it and it was like this is cool we have like a big trial you could do i was like this because even if that was before i kind of even had a more a better gaming pc that i bought you know like i was like this it was such a cool idea for people that aren't in that world you know because like this is neat i can just play you can play it on your macbook just pop it on the thing and stream because i remember trying bioshock or something on my mac and i was like this is cool but it just wasn't i don't know it's just our our internet infrastructure i mean it might be a little bit better now if you had like a gigabit connection i guess and then yeah, it's a pretty stable much dependent connection. on that, right? Yeah, yeah. If as long you know, you your hardware, like you know, I can you know, you can have like you said, like an older MacBook or something like that, and you know, you might be able to run something. And also, your platform kind of goes away there too. It's just like, hey, do you really care if like Overwatch was made only for PC? No, because I'm just getting the rendered frames back and things like that. So theoretically you could say like eh, platform doesn't matter anymore but it's all dependent on that network infrastructure and if it's not fast enough to like send your inputs and process them get them back to you in 60 frames a second some people might not like that and i mean but, it, it, it's definitely the future though that's the thing about it it might not be ha- i was dumb enough to think even when the 360 and those were out it's like this will be the last console the next one they announce are going to be extremely good i i was like this is probably when i searched our again into games and the like, programming style like because, because to me, it's more like it's not a matter of what, if it ha- it's gonna happen. Because that's the way it all. Is. It, I mean, that's the way music went. That's the way. Like, I don't even have MP3s in my song. They're all. I just go to Spotify <laughs> or no, Netflix. I- you know, I stopped buying DVDs. I just have Netflix or another, or an iTunes. But that's still a server. I mean, it's still streaming to me from some server. Like even Apple TVs. You might have bought those movies. It does. You can't store them on that thing. It actually no, has to just no. stream them. I mean, yeah, that's what I do with my movies on Xbox too. And it's like, but I mean, I guess the question is. When does that actually catch up? Because the games, yeah, yeah. Because I saw like Google. It sounds like they're jumping on board. I heard these rumors about Project Yeti, oh, which yeah. sounds like they're getting together. I don't know if it's going to be like a set-top streaming box or what type of service it's going to be, but they're looking into this streaming game stuff. Um, so you know them having the network and capabilities they do, maybe that's what propels it a little further down the road. You know, um, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. I agree. I think it's coming, but I. Th- think it also has to make sense i mean the only way it's going to make sense is very like a significant portion of people have an internet connection that you know that's acceptable to them to play a game that way um and we had even the i mean the online was one but the playstation now that's what that does and that's real now you can do that 
Absolutely, right now on PS4. Um, right. You can stream it to, like, what, another device of yours over the internet? Well, you can yeah. do it on... It'll work for PS4. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I mean, they're... That's their way of doing backwards compatibility. They have that for a lot of PS3 games, PS2 games. Like, whereas Xbox made an emulator, all it runs yeah. on that hardware. They just said, we'll, we'll run them on our server and stream them to you. And I've tried that one before, and it's okay. <laughs> you're like, it's okay. It's kind of like that thing about it is. It's like, if, with some of those console experiences, you're, I mean, it's kind of weird because the ones I always try are the ones that are like supposed to look the best, which are like FPSs, you know? Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, that's probably the least likely you should be playing. And then, you know, you want to play again, like. If you're playing some turn-based thing, it'd be fine. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. good enough for that. It's yeah, just they're, def- for- they're definitely... Gr- yeah, you're right. You're, they're great for that. It's just like, you know, Fortnite. Let's use that right now. It's like, if that feels laggy or, you know, delayed for somebody, they're not going to want to play that that way. So, I mean, maybe that's the metric. If you can make the like the best game of the time play well on streaming, maybe that, you know, that's enough. But, yeah, I'm still waiting to see, like, in general where that goes. Um. Could be cool, Actually, yeah, one random thought I had is like, does this eliminate sort of like the traditional lag of sending things back and forth? Because now it's like everything is just up on the server being processed. So yeah, I guess you just have your input lag, right? Well, That's it would be the same thing though. If you think about it, theory. I mean, it's still yeah. a client-server model in a way. It's just more of it's processed on the. You don't even do any simulation in your version of it. You're just getting a feed of video. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's the thing is like you know your clients have prediction. You don't even need that anymore. It's just like you know, hey, it's like it's just purely input lag at that point. I guess you know because you know if the server's rendering it and sending you all the state again, it's like well, I don't have to do anything. So, well, that's what I mean. I think clients. Yeah. That's what I'm almost saying. It's like on the same really good connection and just say the client side prediction and client side stuff is going to be better because you're running a local simulate. You're running the game on your local machine. Like, I don't think it'd ever be better for that, because unless the streaming's just going to give you processing power that you can't have, but the lag would be just as bad, if you think about it, because it has well, to do two trips in the same way. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're always going to have the same network latency between you and the server, but I guess what I was saying is, like, you don't, I mean, is there even a need for the client-side prediction, though, because you're not even going to Oh, you have wouldn't that. have that, yeah, it wouldn't Yeah, you wouldn't have that. Wouldn't have that. Yeah. It'd all be, like, simulated on the server in a frame. That's the thing, it would be completely yeah. accurate. You guys would all be yeah. just hooked into the same game, basically, I guess. Yeah, it almost comes back to the vi- the original vision of a client server model, whereas you have a dummy terminal that you're just inputting into, and now that server processes it, and not only does it send you the game state, it sends you a visual, or well, I guess it sends you the game state, which then you render. Well, no, I guess it's all just like the rendered frame too. So it's just like here's my inputs, tell me right. what it looks like. Yeah. You know, so, um, but yeah, that's you just like the get the state of- back. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it'll be like a huge boom if one, once it gets smooth. So, but um, yeah. So that was a lot, and uh, that was a ton of different network models and a history there. So, uh, I hope I hope that was pretty informative. I find that interesting. So, cool. Yeah. All right. So, we will be back for our twitters and well, we'll be back for twitters and patreons and things. Like that. <laughs> And 
we're back, and that was an evolution of network gaming, and you know, a lot to unpack, but pretty interesting, I think, from the dark Pun ages. intended, right? Now. Yeah, exactly. A lot to unpack. <laughs> Deserialize that. Um, oh my goodness! <laughs> so Shut up, mud player. <laughs> How is that a slur? <laughs> you pleb. Yeah. Anyway. I have no idea because I played those at one point too. But um, Seriously. anyway, um, <clears throat> so thank you all for listening again, and um. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon page. Andrew, would you like to tell them about that? Sure. You have a Patreon page, or you go to patreon.com slash the debug log. <laughs> there we have a couple of different things. We used to have a little more rewards, but now we've kind of streamlined it to make sure we can get them to you every time. And really the only reward is, I think it's the early episodes, which we still put on there. We just put our bonus episode on there. So sometimes we have fun stuff that you know doesn't actually fit in our feed, or it's just some kind of as the bonus episode was a crappy recording that we <laughs> put in our feed. So <laughs> stuff like that. But it's really, if you want to support us and I, I you know, just go there, have fun, have fun. Give Enjoy. us a hundred bucks Help. or something if you want to. <laughs> just kidding now. Help us out. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 give us a buck. It motivates us. Hey, people are paying attention. So yeah, but, um, Obina, <laughs> would you like to tell us how people could also praise us in other locations? Yes. You can also praise us on Facebook at our debug lounge, uh, Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com and just search for the debug lounge, uh, as a group, we will find us and request an invite. And we usually accept invites in like, I don't know, 30 seconds at max 30 seconds to a minute. Because uh, we're always watching that. Uh, and that lounge is very, 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 very active. I can't say that enough. People love it, I think. Uh, so if you've been lingering on the podcast for a while, been listening and like, oh, man, I wish I can connect in some other way. I think the lounge is for you. Just go on a Facebook, join the lounge, and you'll not regret it, I'm sure. Just introduce yourself once you join. So, yeah, do that. Facebook.com. Search for the Debug Lounge. In all, all right. seriousness, that is the thing that makes you feel better all the time. Like right. every day, as two or three more people go, they want to join the lounge. Like really cool, and we're like, well, that's why we raced the acceptance. Like I want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Get there, somebody's already it. accepted. It's not there. It's like damn it, Ovina. <laughs> damn it, Ovina. <laughs> that's true. Is there a way we can like see who like uh, like accepts people? I don't know. Like, there, there, that? there is. We it's can, like, like have a competition. There's an ad that they shows added. It. Yeah, so Ovina added this yeah, person. Yeah. Ah. you can see like it's like a news feed of ads or whatever. Which is yeah. fun, because I'm winning that race. <laughs> I think you are. Honestly, I think you are. I'm, I'm not. I do a lot, but but not nearly as much as you. I think so. Well, as far as ads, but yeah. Man, there you go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, everyone, thank you again for listening this week. And if you want to talk to me on Twitter, I am at r e kilgore k i l l g o r e. I'd rather not. You'd rather not. Well, you don't. So, <laughs> just kidding. Go ahead. I'm What's at Andrew underscore Curry. That's C U R I. And I am at O Beans. That's O with an H. Beans with a Z. Right on. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.